Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Recorded live. Greetings, welcome to today's broadcast of this gospel of the kingdom, brought to you by I Saw the Light Ministries dot com. This is Pastor Chen of I Saw the Light Ministries, and for the record, today's date on the Roman calendar is May the twenty third, two thousand fifteen A.D. in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in God's created calendar, it is the fifth day of the sixth month, I mean third month, fifth day of the third month. Tomorrow is Pentecost, so we'll be having a special broadcast tomorrow as well, on the first day of the week, Sunday. Well, today's topic is going to be spirit of understanding, the need for the spirit. That's a very appropriate topic for Pentecost and the days leading up to Pentecost, Pentecost weekend. I hope that you're enjoying your weekend and so that we can uh, give people time to connect over the Internet and over the telephone. We'll put on a, a couple of songs here, and then we'll be back with today's message, which is going to start in the book of Corinthians. And we'll be back with today's message uh, after a couple of songs here. Thanks for listening. My heart is steadfast, oh God, oh God, my heart is steadfast, I will sing, yes, I will sing praises, my heart is steadfast, oh God, awake my glory, awake heart and fire, awake my glory, awake heart and fire. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, among all sons of people. I will sing praise to thee, O Lord, among among the nations. For the loving kindness is great to the heavens. And my truth is made to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. O God, let thy glory be a cloud all the earth. My heart is blessed, O God. O God, my heart is blessed. Thank you. 
It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to thy neighbor's God. To declare thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness by night. With a ten-string lute and with a harp, with resounding music above the light. For thou, O Lord, hast made me glad by what thou hast done. I will sing for joy at the works of thy of this gospel of the kingdom brought to you by I Saw the Light Ministries. This is Pastor Tim. I hope that you're having a great weekend. 
Happy Sabbath. And this is Pentecost weekend, so tomorrow will be Pentecost. Hope that you enjoy your Holy Day weekend. And then Monday is going to be Memorial Day, uh, a time that's supposed to be remembrance uh, for those that have uh, died in the line of work of defense of the nation. So, or at least that's what it's supposed to be. Today and tomorrow, being Pentecost weekend, we'll be talking a lot about the Spirit of God, because that is what Pentecost is about, is the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, the ghost of the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. A lot of people don't like that word ghost, but all it is is the spirit of one who has died. Jesus died, yet he is still alive. Therefore, it is his ghost. It is his spirit of a deceased person who is still living, but not a haunt. There is a difference. The spirit of God moves upon the earth Spirit of God is extremely important to our lives, the life of a Christian. What makes us a Christian is not just our words, not just that we say we believe in God, not just that we say that we believe in Jesus. What makes us a Christian is that we have the Spirit of God in us. The scriptures tell us if we have not the Spirit of God, we are not His. It is His presence of His Spirit in us that makes us a Christian, one that has the Spirit of Christ, one that is a true follower of Christ. We cannot follow Him without His Spirit. Without his spirit, we are dead. We need the spirit. And we should seek the spirit, grow in the spirit, be filled with the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And before we go any farther, let's take time to go into prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, in Jesus' name, we thank you, God, for this great weekend, for the Sabbath day, for the Pentecost weekend. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We thank you most of all for your Holy Spirit, for the indwelling and abiding of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our souls, and these physical temples where you dwell for the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. By your Spirit, our mortal bodies should be quickened to live, praise God. And by your Spirit, our mortal bodies shall be raised, praise God. We ask God for your special anointing on this broadcast, on the listening and hearing, receiving, 
head on to Mars special Pentecost broadcast, sermon, and gathering. We pray, God, that your spirit prevails. We pray, God, that we worship you in truth and in spirit. We ask, God, for thy will to be done. I for the special anointing now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we always read from the New American Standard Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. One Corinthians two verse one says, "And when I came to you, this is Paul speaking. He's writing this letter to the church of Corinthians, a town in what today is Turkey. And it says, when I came to you, brother, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God." So he didn't come to that church on a previous visit or when he founded it in a way, in a manner that was in line with fancy speech or uh, the wisdom of men, the things that would tangalize the flesh. But rather, of course, he came in the Holy Spirit and he came to uplift the Spirit. He came in the working of the Spirit. Verse 2. For I determined to know nothing except among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now we have to start right there for a second because a lot of people take that verse and twist it to mean that the only thing we should ever preach is only that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that is all. Nothing beyond that. And there's a lot of preachers out there that that's the only thing they will preach and the only thing they know they preach because they've not grown in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is our foundation. It's the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and he's coming back to us. Praise God. I don't deny that. We preach that. We teach that. We believe that. We hold that firm. But, we are not little children. Let us grow in the knowledge of the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. There's a lot in the Scriptures. A lot. And even though the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, His death and crucifixion, His resurrection, His salvation of us is part of us, is primary, is foundational, we must also understand all the other things that come along with that. Obedience, holiness, preparation, sanctification, reconsideration, even prophecy is important to know and to understand because at least one-third of the Bible is prophecy. And especially for our day and our time, our end-time generation, prophecy is more important for us 
than any other generation that has ever lived in all of human history because we are the last generation, because the book of Revelation was meant for us more than any other generation. Prophecy is important. Prophecy is important. And there's a lot of other things that goes along with this gospel. We need a full gospel. So let's continue here. And in verse 3 it says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. But when he first came to the church, he had a lot to fear because he had a reputation of being a murderer. He had a reputation of being a sinner and a person that was against Jesus Christ. And he had to prove himself. And he had to stand up and be very bold to people that were testing him, criticizing him. And for his entire ministry, people kept criticizing him, testing him, and questioning him, and trying to come against his authority, and so forth. So, when he first met this church of Corinthians, when he first met these people, he came in weakness, fear, and trembling. And in verse 4, and my message and my preaching was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit, and of power. So even though in a fleshly way, in the physical realm, there's a lot of situations going on there. There's a difficult situation and a time of persecution at the church. Therefore, there was a difficult time, a difficult time, as in our day, in our time, it's a difficult time that we're living in. And it was in his time as well. And it came against all the obstacles Regardless of all the obstacles, regardless of all these uh, things that were against him, he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That is how we are going to survive the great tribulation. That is how we're going to face our trials, our tribulations, our obstacles, and everything that's pushing against us is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what Pentecost is all about. The power of the Holy Spirit. And today we're talking about the spirit of understanding. Now, how did he help the church of Corinthians to understand the word of God, the spirit of God, the power of God, the truth? How did Paul help the Corinthians? Did he come with fancy words, fancy speech, the wisdom of men, or did he come with the spirit of God? He came with the spirit of God. Amen. Praise God. It is through the Spirit of God that the church receives understanding. It is through the Spirit of God that weak men can be strong and courageous. It is through the Spirit of God that we can persevere. Amen. Now, so it came in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Because with the Spirit, there is power. There is power in the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I'm going to underline that word power in both of those verses, verse 4 and verse 5 there. Power. Because there is power with the Spirit. I'm going to underline the word spirit because these are two words connected, spirit and power. You know what the spirit is? It is the breath of God. And with the breath of God, with his voice, he spoke all things into existence. That 
his power. With his voice, he healed the sick, cast out the devils, and raised Lazarus the dead with his voice. Amen. In the spirit and the breath of God, there is power. Verse 6. Yes, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. Now, he is not against wisdom. He is for wisdom. But he didn't come in man's wisdom. He came in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So he's not speaking against wisdom. He's saying, let it be proper wisdom, true wisdom, godly wisdom. We know the book of Proverbs talks about seeking wisdom as a treasure. And he says, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Now, that is very important. That's really what I want to talk about today because the problem in the church today is we have too many children, spiritually speaking, that there's not enough of the church who are mature. When Jesus said that we need to be as little children in order to enter the kingdom, he didn't mean that we should stay immature. He didn't mean that. What he meant was that we should be like little children in the magnitude of love, how children love, and how children are not overly legalistic like so many adults are. and with, with their uh, adults have so many hang-ups, legalism, and uh, lack of love. The children love and are not overly legalistic. And there's a lot of other good characters, characteristics of children that we should consider. But we are not supposed to always stay children. We're supposed to mature mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And he wants us to mature so that we can eat meat, not always drink the milk, but eat the meat. And we can speak wisdom, true wisdom, godly wisdom, among a church that is mature enough. But it's not very good if you always have to deliver weak milk all the time, week after week after week, because the people are so weak. But rather, we need to be able to deliver the meat of the Word of God, deliver true wisdom, understanding, leaving behind just the foundations and principles, and going forward to the deeper, hidden stone of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. Verse 7, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. There are things hidden 
Did you know that? There are things hidden which we can learn, we can find out. Oh, I love this chapter. There are hidden jewels, hidden golden nuggets of Scripture, of truth, of God's Word. If we dig deep, if we are mature enough to handle it, if we seek, if we desire truth, if we are lovers of the truth, and if we are willing to grow in the Word, if we are willing to grow in the Word, hidden wisdom, which God predestined for the ages to our glory. Verse 8, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age have understood. But if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, no testament quotation things which eye has not seen or ear has heard which has not entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him now that's a very popular verse right there that is quoted by a lot of people and uh, I'm going to look real quick King James Version, see how it's worded King James, because of course all of us know it better in the King James. And in King James it says in verse 9, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now, the problem is because so many of us are children and because our pastors, our ministers, our leaders, our children, blind leading the blind, immature leading the immature, they've always quoted that one verse 9 and left out verse 10. Let us read more than one verse as a mature person who will go farther and deeper to the next verse. Verse 10 in New American Standard for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. King James says in verse 10, But, but God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yet the deep things of God. So a lot of people use verse 9 as a lie. And they turn the word of God into a lie. When a lot of people use verse 9 to try to say that we don't know and can't know the mystery of God, that there is things we don't know and can't know. They actually use that verse for that because they don't even look at verse 10. Verse 9, that there's no eye has seen or heard. They just read that. I'm going to read that again, King James. This is so used to it. Verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen, no ear heard, neither have entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. So people read that one verse all by itself, 
and think and teach that these things have never entered our ears, our hearts. But that's not true at all, is it? First Tim, but God has revealed them. God has revealed them. We can know the deep things of God. We can know what has happened, what is happening, what is going to happen. We can know what is going to happen. We can know hidden mysteries. I don't care if you want to call it gossipism or whatever you want to call it as a lie and a false accusation against the truth. I don't believe in gossipism, however you pronounce it. I don't believe that you're saved by wisdom. But I do believe that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We need knowledge. We need wisdom. We need to grow up and mature to the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. That's a pretty big fullness to the full statue of Jesus Christ. That's pretty major. That's something you really think about. Verse 10. You know what I understand verse 10. For to us, God revealed them. God reveals things. How does he reveal? Only by scripture? Only, 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 only? Sound like a pig. Oink, oink, oink. Only by written scripture? No. There are things that can be revealed through the Spirit. That's what it says. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Through the written word? Well, yeah, he does reveal a lot through the written word, but he also reveals through his spirit things that are not even written. They're so hidden, they're so deep, they're, they're not even written. Did you know that Job, when he was alive, didn't have any of the Bible that we have? He didn't have Genesis, hadn't even been read. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. None of the Bible we have today had been written in the time of Job's lifetime. But he still knew the Word of God. How did he know the Word of God without Scripture to the Spirit? How did Paul know the things he knew and the New Testament had not been written yet? Through the Spirit. I'm not against scriptures. I'm not against the word of God, but his word is not physical. Word is spirit. Amen. His word is spirit. Verse 10, for to us God revealed them through the spirit, for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. It goes deep, praise God. Deep from God. Deep. That is so much more than just that foundation. Amen. Verse 11. But who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man 
one of the gifts is the gift of knowledge. A word of knowledge that God can, through the Spirit, lay on the heart and mind of one man or woman to tell somebody else something. I've had that happen to me, and a lot of people have had that happen to them, a word of knowledge. And it continues here, even so the thoughts of God. No one knows except the Spirit of God. In other words, only through the Spirit of God can certain things be known. Verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Verse 13. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. How many times I've seen that? That is so true. Fleshly people, worldly people, lost people who don't have the Spirit of God, they do not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Atheists, homosexuals, all kinds of worldly people. They don't accept the things of God. Do you think? And not only do they not accept the things of God, they actually wage war against the things of God. There's people out there that actually call themselves Christians who think they are saved and going to heaven as soon as they die who fight against the deep things of God, who fight the mysteries of God that's been revealed to the servant. God's given me the revelation of the deep things of God concerning the identity of the son of perdition, the false prophet, the four horsemen, and a bunch of other things by the Spirit. By the Spirit, those things have been revealed to us, to the church, to his servants, you know how many people out there are waging war against those truths? Against those revelations? Wait, actually working against them to prove me wrong. They don't have the Spirit of God. Amen. And it says here, verse 14, that a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually appraised. Amen. King James says discerned. I like that word appraised there in the New American Standard. There's a lot to that word appraised. Amen. To study the value of know the value of. Amen. But they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, knows knows the value of each thing. Yet he himself is appraised by no one, no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct? Only those that have the Holy Spirit. 
that we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. Talking about the Holy Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, he gives us thoughts. He directs our thoughts. He knows our thoughts. He works with our thoughts. Speaks to us in our hearts, in our minds, our spirits. We have the mind of Christ. We think like God. We feel his feelings. We feel his sadness, his anger, his joy, his love. We have the mind of Christ. Only if we have the Holy Spirit. We think like him. We hate darkness like he does. We love the things he does and hate the things he does. We look at things the way he looks at things. We have the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, then we can spiritually discern and appraise whether something be true or false. Without the mind of Christ, we fall for Jade Ham conspiracy theories, Walmart conspiracy theories, the most ridiculous conspiracy theories I've ever heard of in my life, showing how mature everybody still is. If we are mature, if we have the mind of Christ, we will not fall for these traps, these decoys, and this foolishness. The mind of Christ cannot be fooled. The mind of Christ cannot be tricked. The mind of Christ will not fall for temptation. The mind of Christ comes in power and authority. There's a lot to think about there in that verse. Let us take time to think about things instead of jumping on every bandwagon of every conspiracy theory that comes on our way and we just jump on the wagon and ride with it. And before we know it, we're not only riding the wagon, but driving the wagon, telling other people and teaching other people ridiculous conspiracy theories and spreading the lies and making Christians and making the church look like fools. Church needs to grow up. Church needs the Spirit of God, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of wisdom, the mind of Christ. The Church needs the mind of Christ. We need the mind of Christ. With the mind of Christ, we can move mountains. Oh, praise God. With the mind of Christ, we can move mountains, land, earth, sea, anything, and nothing shall be impossible with us. With the mind of Christ, nothing shall be impossible with us, and we should do even greater work than Jesus did. With the mind of Christ, with the spirit of the crucified, resurrected, and glorified creator of heaven and earth, that is atomic power. That is power beyond any physical comprehension. I'm about to blow up just talking about it. Oh, Lord. Praise God. 
for the Spirit of God. Let us pray for the mind of Christ. Let us pray for the Spirit of God. Let us pray for maturity in Christ. And let us seek the deep things of God and not be hindered by our physical thinking, our fleshly thinking. I can't do that. I can't do that. Nothing should be impossible with the mind of Christ. Nothing should be impossible with the Spirit of God. Nothing. We can raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out devils, do anything that is acceptable to the will of God. Amen. But we also have to work within our gifts that he has given each one of us individually and within our offices and administration. Amen. Now let's go to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Two Corinthians chapter three. And in case you're just tuning uh, turning in, tuning in, we are reading always from New American Standard Bible. New American Standard Bible, two Corinthians chapter three. Verse one. Two Corinthians three, verse one. Are we beginning to command ourselves again? Let me stop right here for a second and say this. But the spirit of witchcraft be rebuked in the name of Jesus Christ. Because the spirit of witchcraft is not the mind of God. The spirit of witchcraft is the spirit of Satan. And he does exist, whether you believe it or not. Satan existed. Good exists and evil exists. And they are both spirits and they are opposite spirits, not the same. And they are opposite of one another. And the evil spirit is Satan his dominion, his fallen ones, his followers, and the spirit of goodness and true love is Jesus Christ, not Allah, not Buddha, and not even the earth. The earth has no power. The earth cannot save you. The earth cannot deliver you. Neither can Normal wind, the breath of God can, but wind, fire, and the elements of this world cannot save you or deliver you. The problem throughout all humanity is mankind has wanted to put the creation above and over the creature. But the creation is subject to the creature. The Creator has a mind. Amen. The Creator speaks, listens, hears, moves, heals, delivers, saves, and loves. Amen. In Jesus' name. Now, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to command ourselves again, or do we need, as some letters of commendation to you or from you, you know all these churches that you've got to sign a letter, they call it, some of them. Baptist church is real bad about this. Sign a letter to be a member of that church. That's ridiculous. I cannot sign a piece of paper to 
become a member of a church. I am a member of the church, the body of Christ, the called out ones, the sanctified ones, by the Spirit, not by the letter. Not by anything any man, woman, or person can write, but by the Spirit of God. And I don't need any license to preach, to teach. I don't need to go to college to learn to preach, to teach. There is no such thing as a school of prophets. You cannot learn to prophesy. You cannot learn to receive a gift from God. You either have received that gift from God or you have not received that gift from God. There ain't no school to it. It's a school of hard knocks and a school of the Holy Spirit. You cannot learn to be a preacher or a teacher or a prophet or prophetess. All that is foolish made things of men. So verse 2, you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Verse 3, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cured for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. With the earth, no, but with the living God. He's alive. He hears even your thoughts. He sees everything you do, hears everything you do. Amen. He is all-knowing, all-existing without beginning, without end, the eternal one. Praise God. The spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ, Lord God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Through the breath of God, through the Spirit, he breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. That Spirit in us. Did you know this could make a lot of people mad? So I'm going to say it anyway because it's the truth. It's the deep things of God. I don't care if you never heard anybody ever say it in your whole life. That every human on this planet, even the most wicked, have at least a seed of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, they could not be alive. He breathed his spirit, life, his breath, into Adam, and he became a living soul. Without the breath of God, breathe in, breathe out, there is life. Without, without life in us, there is no spirit, there is no soul. Everybody, even the wicked, has a seed of the spirit, but that doesn't mean that they are saved. It doesn't mean that they are filled with the spirit of God. It doesn't mean that, but it means that we have life in us, and that life belongs to God, and God can take it back. But there's a difference between having a seed of it and it being active and alive in the spiritual realm, giving us knowledge, giving us power, giving us wisdom, because we have to receive the Holy Ghost. Now, this is something I know a lot of people have never heard before. But the scriptures actually say, Paul said, have you yet received the Holy Ghost? They said, I've never even heard of the Holy Ghost. I never, never even knew there was such a thing. 
These people knew the Holy Spirit. They knew God. They had been baptized. They had heard preaching, believed teaching. They believed in Jesus Christ. They believed in the Holy Spirit. They knew there was a Holy Spirit, but they didn't know there was a Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible says. The Holy Ghost is the fire of the resurrection of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. So that's different from just having a seed of spirit, having the breath of life in us. That's different from even having the Holy Spirit during the Old Testament times. The Holy Spirit moved in Jeremiah. The Holy Spirit moved in Noah. The Holy Spirit moved in Moses. But they didn't have the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ. And only through the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ that the person that died went into the tomb for three days and three nights and then came up out of that grave walked on earth another 40 days, and then went into heaven and was ascended and glorified, that manifestation of his power, that manifestation of atomic power, that manifestation of power and authority, that glorification that occurred there, that spirit is what saves us. The crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ spirit is what saves us. Amen. Now, going back here to verse 6. That these people, Noah, Moses, Job, even though they knew of the Holy Spirit, they had to live by the letter because they was under the old covenant at the time. They had to live by the letter of the law. But now we have another comforter. Now we have the Holy Ghost. Now we have the Spirit that gives life to where we are now delivered from you can't eat that, you can't touch that. We are delivered from having to kill goats and sacrifice on an altar. We are delivered from that, offerings of fire. We are delivered from circumcision. We don't have to do any of those things no more. Because now the spirit that gives life is in us. And now we are truly alive spiritually and can grow up and, and have the deeper things of God that they didn't have back then. But there's a lot of people on this earth today that are still walking in the letter of the law. And that is the Hebrew root people and the Jewish people and other people who walk in the letter of the law. Some people think you still have to be circumcised. Some people think you have to still uh, have a difference between clean and unclean meat. But we got to understand the spirit behind the law. What was the spirit that God said you must be circumcised? The spirit behind that was he wanted to separate his people, his nation that existed at that day and that time from the other nations. In all aspects, he had different people set apart, and he had to do it in a way, in a manner that children could understand, that the cavemen could understand, that the primitive people could understand, that people in the third world nations could understand. 
in a very physical manner while men were still immature, while men still did not have the Holy Ghost yet, while men still were very physically thinking. And but the spirit behind it was a separation of people and a sainthood. But now, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now, it don't matter whether you're black, white, yellow, or red, Russian, or Chinese. Through the Spirit of God, we can all be his children. Amen. And the Spirit gives life. So, if we want to understand the meaning of the Ten Commandments, if we want to understand the meaning of anything written in the Old Testament, if we want to understand anything the meaning of the New Testament, if we want to understand anything, anything that is of the Spirit, then we need the Spirit. And there's too many people that are trying to read the Scriptures and they don't have the Spirit of God to lead them and to teach them and to give them the understanding then they go out there and teach other people carnal things and false doctrines and the blind leading the blind. Verse 7, let's continue. But if the ministry of death in letters engraven on stones came of glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently on the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the spirit of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. So it was glorious, the things that came under Moses, but much more glorious, the things that come under Jesus Christ. Verse 12, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remained unlifted because it was, it was removed in Christ. This is Hebrew root people, that they focus so much on the letter of what's written, on this physical, physical written scripture, don't have the Holy Spirit, they're not saved, they can't understand the deep things of God, the only thing they can understand is what they can read. If they can read it, it says you've got to kill this goat, you've got to be circumcised, you can't eat pork, they read it, they, they believe it, because it's written but they don't understand the spirit of why that was written and that it was done away and removed through the spirit of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Ghost and through the blood of the Lamb of God. They don't understand the New Testament. Their eyes are blinded by the Old Testament. This verse is major. Every Hebrew root person needs to read this verse over and over and over and over until they are delivered of the letter of the law. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in the Ten Commandments. I believe in the Sabbath day. I believe in the feast days. Because the New Testament teaches the feast days and the Sabbath. And because the New Testament teaches tithes 
and the New Testament teaches the Ten Commandments. But the New Testament does not teach killing of goats, sheep, lamb, circumcision, cleaning up some meat. So we've got to read the entire Bible, and we've got to understand it with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit teaches us that, yes, we still need to give tithes, Ministers and ministries and the church needs our support. Orphans and widows, the poor and the needy and the hungry need our support. Tides are still needful. The Holy Spirit teaches us that. We still need to keep the Sabbath. The Holy Spirit teaches us that. We still need to keep the Holy Days. The Holy Spirit teaches us that. If we are mature in the Holy Spirit, enough to know these things. If we keep, 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 keep growing up, 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 and keep maturing and all the way up to the full statue of Jesus Christ, then we'll come to know these things eventually. We may not understand them at first, but eventually, if we continue to mature into the full statue of Christ with the mind of Christ, then we know that the Sabbath and the Holy Days and Pentecost tomorrow was ordained even before Moses was even born, even before the Old Covenant even existed, People were keeping the Sabbath and the Holy Days and giving tithes. Even before the Old Covenant even existed. Even in Job's day, before Moses, before the Old Covenant, before Mount Sinai, and before the Exodus, Job was keeping the Sabbath and the Holy Days and paying his tithes. Does the Bible say it? No. But does the Spirit say it? Yes. Amen. Praise God. Now let's go. No, let's keep reading here. Verse 15. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil still lies over their heart. Be careful how much. People say, Paul the liar! Paul the false prophet! Paul the liar! No, he's not. The Spirit says expressly that Paul is a servant of God. Can you hear the Spirit? Can you hear the Spirit? Verse 16, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. Who is Lord? Jesus is Lord. That's what scriptures say. Jesus is Lord. How many lords we got? One, two, or three. One Lord, the Bible says, one Lord and one Spirit. We all baptize into one Spirit. There's not two Spirits, three Spirits, two persons, two heads, three heads. We're not serving a Greek monster here. There's one Lord, his name is Jesus, he is the Spirit. Now the Lord, the Spirit, Jesus is the Spirit, and where the Lord is, where Jesus is, there is liberty. I have liberty. I have liberty. And that liberty is more important than whether or not you offend someone. I said it because it's the truth. The liberty of the Lord, what is liberty? For the Lord is the Spirit. Where is the Spirit of the Lord? There is liberty. If the Holy Spirit is there, there is liberty. If you don't have that liberty, the Holy Spirit is not there. If someone, legalistic, religious, fanatic, is telling you, you can't, you men, you boys, you males, can't have your shirt off in public, you know what that is? The spirit of legalism. There's nothing wrong with a guy having his shirt off in public. Nothing. Nothing. A guy is a guy. And God is going to go shirtless unless they have been whipped 
by religious fanaticism, legalism, and another thing is everybody teaching their legalism that you can't have, you can't enjoy a glass of wine with your meal. You can't have one beer with your pizza. You know what that is? Legalism, based on the fear of alcohol, fear of what they experience in their own families with drunkenness, which is an entirely different subject. Drunkenness, for no drunkard should enter the kingdom of God, amen. But drunkenness and raging with wine, those, that is an entirely different topic than whether or not that you can enjoy a glass of wine with your meal or one beer with your pizza, or two beers with your pizza, or three beers with your pizza. If that is not drunkenness to you, it may be drunkenness to one person, but it's not drunkenness to someone else. There is liberty in Jesus Christ, and liberty is more important than whether or not you love cancer. And yes, we should be careful about offending people. We should try to avoid offending people. But we don't have to live in fear about whether or not we're offending someone. Liberty is more important. For where there is liberty, the Holy Spirit is there. I'm not talking about license to sin. I'm not talking about license to be an alcoholic. I'm not talking about license to lie, steal, cheat, commit adultery. I'm not talking about false liberty. I'm talking about true liberty. There's a difference. We have to have the right balance and the truth, true doctrine, true doctrine, not legalism, not religious fanaticism, not traditional doctrine either, not Babylonian doctrine, not the doctrines of our parents, but true doctrine, true doctrine, true doctrine is based on the spirit. Now let's move forward. Verse 18 that we all, with unveiled faith, unveiled faith, what does that mean? An unveiled faith is a faith that has the mind of Christ, that has been delivered from the letter of the law, and understands the spirit of the law. Unveiled faith, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit, to the full statue of Christ, to the full statue of Christ. Uh, where is that scripture, full statue of Christ? Let's see if I can find it real quick without disconnecting. Full statue of Christ. Ephesians. Yeah, right here. Ephesians four. Verse 13, 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith, not everybody having different doctrines. Not one person in church believing that one drink equals sin, another person believing that it don't equal sin. Not with each person having their own opinions, not with each person having different opinions about different doctrines, but rather every one of us believing the same. Unity of doctrine, unity of the faith, until, and of the knowledge, the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We've got to come to the maturity of Christ, the same level of maturity that Jesus Christ did. That's a high calling. The Bible says it's a high calling. But we're not some kind of a weak calling or little calling or unimportant. Our calling is a high calling. We have high standards, but not based upon man's doctrine. High standards. Amen. Going back to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 is something to really think about here. But we all with unveiled faith, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. A person could sit think about that all day long. That is wild. Now, let's go to one of my favorite chapters of the whole Bible, Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. If you ever want to read something to get you shouting, read Romans 8. That is a shouting chapter. I tell you, I don't know how anybody can read Romans 8 and not get up and shout or want to shout or feel something wanting to explode within them. I tell you, Romans 8 is powerful. And another powerful, of course, there are so many powerful passages throughout the Bible. I've got the book of Ephesians. I don't see how you can read Ephesians without feeling like there's Oh, that just, oh, the atomic power of the resurrection of the Spirit of God. Romans 8, uh, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Praise God. Does that mean Ten Commandments were done away with? No. Does it mean the Sabbath and the feast days were done away with? No. Does it mean that all the law of God is done away with? No. Does it mean that you can stand freely and do anything you want? No. We still must keep the Ten Commandments and follow the law of God, the Spirit of God, that is. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. Now, the law of the Spirit of life is set. There's still a law. Yeah, Christ Jesus set you free from the law of sin and of death. Two laws. One good, one bad, one still exists, one's done away. There's three. Pull out the law, the old law, the old covenant law, meats, sacrifices, those circumcision could not do. That's not talking about the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments still exist. Jesus taught the Ten Commandments. Paul taught the Ten Commandments. It's talking about the Old Covenant Law. It's talking about 
made certain decisions, those things like that, could not do. Weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness or image of his sinful flesh, even as an offering to sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, things of the Spirit. There's a lot in that verse. I could preach on that all day long. Verse 5 again. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are of the Spirit set their things of things mind on the things of the Spirit. So, if we're of the Spirit, we don't care so much about cars, about racing, about wrestling, about boxing, about money, about drugs, about fleshly problems and troubles, legalistic things. But if we are of the Spirit, we put our minds on the Spirit, we think of positive things. We think of things that are praiseworthy, Philippians 4. We think of the Holy Spirit. We think of the kingdom of God. We think of the scriptures. We think of the poor and needy. We think of what we can do, our part of the gospel, our part of the word, of the kingdom. We put our minds on the things of the Spirit. Amen. And also, we're not so focused about worrying about whether a man has a shirt all on or all off. That's fleshly thinking, worrying about that. Spiritually thinking, you don't even think about it. You don't have to think about it. There's no need to think about it. Let that guy alone and worry about your own business. Or what somebody else is doing in their life, period. Leave them alone, worry about your own business. Amen. Now verse 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death. For the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. So there's still a law. There is still a law. How can we say all law, all Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, the Holy Days, tithing, all law is done away with when this verse says that those of the flesh do not subject itself to the law of God. So I would ask a Baptist person, a Pentecostal person, do you subject yourself to the law of God? They would say, no, the law is done away with then our response should be, well, the Bible says, if you do not subject yourself to the law of God, then you are fleshly and carnally minded. But the Bible says, there is still some law, <coughs> excuse me, the Ten Commandments, Sabbath, Feast, Days, and Tides still exist. Before the Old Covenant, during the Old Covenant, and after the Old Covenant. for it's not even able for them to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit, 
if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, talking about the Holy Ghost, that if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, what is the Holy Ghost? What is the Spirit of God in this context? It is the crucified and resurrected Spirit of Christ, the Holy Ghost. Verse 10, if Christ is in you, through the body, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, what was I just talking about? But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Remember that verse, because after we finish reading Romans 8, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection when we're going to rise from that grave. Praise God Almighty. That is, a, that, that is something to shout about. Verse 11, say, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus is going to raise you, if the spirit of him who resurrected Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if there is a spirit of life in you, the grave cannot hold us down. That's not a cemetery. That is resurrection ground. Resurrection ground. You're never again called a cemetery. It is resurrection ground. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12. So then, brother, we are, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, drug, cigarette, pot, drunkenness. We don't live that way. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We have to put to death sinful things. We have to crucify them through the resurrection. We have to crucify them through the death and resurrection. That's what our baptism underwater symbolizes. We have to, we have to be baptized. And we have to repent daily and crucify those things, repent of our sins. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Notice that word, fear, leading to fear. We should not live in fear about whether or not we offend someone. We should be careful not to offend someone, but we should not live in fear about whether or not we're going to offend someone. We don't have to live in fear. Amen. God does not want us to live in fear. We don't have to live in fear about can I go to a drink machine on the Sabbath day and, and cut three quarters in the drink machine and get a drink on the Sabbath day? I don't have to live in fear about that because that drink machine is not a living, breathing person. I'm not making somebody work on the Sabbath. I'm not breaking the Sabbath when I put my coins in a drink machine on the Sabbath day. We don't have to live in fear about that. We should not go to the store on the Sabbath. No, we shouldn't, unless we have to. If we have to, have to, I mean really 
have to, have to, not just I want to, or I should, but rather have to. If you have to, you have to. But you should not do so unless you have to. We, we, we know the Sabbath's coming up. We should do what we can do ahead of time to prepare for the Sabbath and go on Thursday or Friday and get what we need. But neither does God want you to go hungry or your family go hungry or your children go hungry or your wife go hungry because something happened and you just couldn't get there, truly couldn't get there on the Sabbath day. And your family will go hungry. No, don't let them go hungry. Go to the school on the Sabbath day if you have to. Don't live by the letter of the law. Live by the spirit of the law. Jesus picked grain, it wasn't corn, like James says, it was corn, don't grow in the Middle East. But he picked grain, him and his disciples, on the Sabbath day. You have to eat. And back then, they didn't have microwaves and refrigerators. <clears throat> it's okay to cook on the Sabbath, but you need to do your prep work on the day before the Sabbath. Right? We're continuing here. Don't live in fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out as a father. Verse 16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, hires also. Now, children, is that talking about five-year-olds? No. To say, if you're 80 years old, you may have a 50-year-old child. You know? Children, we're still our parents' children regardless of how old we are. We're not supposed to stay in the tour. So we are grown children of God. Yes, we are. And if we are grown children of God, and if children, hires also hires of God and fellow hires with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Are you suffering? You should be. In this life, godly people will suffer persecution. And that also means putting to death the sin in your life. It also means being baptized in the water, undergoing the crucifixion and restoration of Jesus Christ through the water baptism. So that, there's a lot in that verse. Verse 18. So I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I love that verse right there. That's a powerful, powerful, powerful verse. We're in Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. This is a good verse against being negative. So many people so negative. Always, always, always complaining. But it says here in Romans 8, verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. Why are we putting so much focus on negative words, negative thoughts, the problems of this life? They're not worthy to talk about. They're not worthy to bring up. They're not worthy to bring to put our minds on. Let us put our mind on positive things, Philippians 4. Let us put our minds on things that are praiseworthy. Let us put our minds on the resurrection. Let us put our minds on the coming of the Lord. Let us put his mind on the things that give life. 
There are things that kill and there are things that give life. Let us put our minds on things that give life. They're not worthy. These negative things are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. What's that talking about? It's talking about the resurrection. Praise God. It's talking about the coming to the full maturity of the statue of the measure of Christ. Becoming the bride of Christ, becoming the body of Christ. Being lifted up with Christ. Ruling with Christ. Having crowns and glory. To the Spirit of God. Verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing or the manifestation of the sons of God. Earth, moon, the planets, the stars, the universe, the creation is waiting eagerly for the revealing for the apocalypse. That word apocalypse means revealing. For the revealing, for the manifestation of the sons of God. We await the resurrection, but not us only, but even the creation, the trees, the animals, the beasts of the earth, the angels, wait for that glorious day. What a glorious day that shall be. What a glorious day that shall be when I shall see my Jesus. Amen. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to fertility. Or King James Version says vanity. The creation the creation is made subject to vanity, to fertility. The craters on the moon, the decayed state that the planets exist in right now is not always that way. The moon did not always have all those craters on it. Jupiter, Mars, all the planets did not used to appear the way they appear now. Even science tells us that. The creation testifies of the creator and of events that have occurred throughout history, even before mankind. Look up on the moon, it tells a story of a war in heaven. When you look up on the moon, you see all those craters, creatures there, holes in the moon. It tells a story how the devil waged war in heaven. And there was a war in heaven. There was a war in the heavenlies. There was a war in the universe where the devil and his angels waged war against the devil. You know what? In a war, things get thrown. Meteors get thrown. Comets get thrown. Every time we hear of a comet passing the earth, it tells a story. How did those things get thrown? There was a war in the heavens. And the subject, the creation, was subjected to vanity, to fertility, that war in heaven, not willingly. The moon, the earth, the creation, the stars, the universe. 
did not do it on their own. It was made subject to the vanity by the devil. Because of him, the devil, who subjected it in hope that he would become God, in hope that he would overthrow God off his throne. But was unsuccessful, praise God. Verse 21. That the creation itself also will be set free. Praise God. Even as we shall be set free, the moon will be set free. The creation of all those planets out there shall be set free from that vanity, that corruption that the devil subjected it under. The wounds that were still visible in creation, the wounds of the holes on the moon shall be healed and it shall be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God children of God. If we are powers of God, joint powers with Jesus Christ, and we shall sit on thrones with Jesus Christ, we're going to be given crowns, and we're going to rule in the kingdom of God. What are we going to rule? The universe. Not just earth only. So many people are so limited in their thinking about what we're going to rule. We're not going to rule just the earth. We're going to rule the universe. Is Jesus Christ God of only the earth, or is he God of the universe? God is God of the entire universe. And if we are hers of Christ and joint hers with Christ, we inherit all things. Not just the earth only, but the moon and all the planets and all the stars. And we we look up there in the sky at night and see billions and billions of stars, more than our eyes can behold. It tells a story of our future, of the past, of the present, of our future. And we look upon those stars, we should wonder, which star is mine? Which star will I rule? The Star Trek is man's counterfeit story. Star Trek denies the existence of God. Star Trek denies... Star Trek is antichrist. And I used to love Star Trek, but let's listen to this now. Star Trek... Star Trek denies the existence of God and his return, and says that for all existence, that's 2,000 years from now, Jesus Christ still won't be back. That's what Star Trek teaches. But the scriptures teach that he is coming back for his children and will give those stars and those planets and all creation into our hands, and it will be delivered from his current bondage and corruption over into the glorious liberty of the children of God and we shall inherit those things and those are our crowns and our jewels and our rewards out there. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation, Romans 8, 22, we know that the whole creation, all of it, all the planets, all the stars, everything that was ever made was not made in vanity, but 
that it was made under subjection to vanity. It came under subjection to the devil, that it was not made in vain. God did not make all those things in vain or just for decoration, but for our reward. Amen. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation, I can feel the creation groaning right now. I can feel the creation. Ain't you? That the whole creation groaneth. I'm groaning right now. The Holy Spirit is groaning within me now. Groaning. But we know that the whole creation groaneth and suffers the pains of childbirth and is about to burst together until now. And not only this, that also we ourselves, amen, having the first fruits of the Spirit. You know what that first fruit talks about? It's the first resurrection. That even as Jesus was the first of the first fruits, that he was the first resurrected from the dead, that he is the first of the first fruits, and we are also first fruits. He is the first one of us. He is the Adam of us, and he is the first seed of the first resurrection, the first harvest of the first resurrection, and we're going to be harvested as the children of God, and we are going to be raised up, but not no pre-trib rapture. Please hear me out. No preacher rapture. Read all the Bible and don't read it the way man has taught you. But read it with the Spirit. And learn through the Spirit. And read it and read it and read it and read it. Genesis to Revelation. Read it and read it and read it and pray over it and fast over it and seek it and dig in there and dig into the deep things of God. And God, the Spirit, will reveal to you with no preacher rapture. But there is going to be a catching up, and there will be a resurrection. And tomorrow is the day of Pentecost, in case you didn't know that. Tomorrow is the festival of God of the first fruits of the catching up of Pentecost. Tomorrow represents a holy day in the kingdom of God. This ain't no Jewish holiday. It is a holiday in the kingdom of God. Whether you're Jew, Greek, Gentile, Hebrew, Chinese, Russian, black, white, yellow, red, wherever you are, if you're a child of God, if you are a member of the kingdom of God, tomorrow is your holiday that represents the catching up of the first resurrection. Verse 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting. Are you waiting? Waiting eagerly. Are you waiting eagerly? Are you to have that eagerness in you to see the Lord and to be caught up, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body? We, we need to want to get rid of this flesh. Everybody wants to hold on to this flesh. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We need to eagerly want to shed this flesh, get rid of this counsel that we are in, get rid of this bondage that's holding us down, and get ready to fly away, to call up after the tribulation. A part in the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, Revelation 19. Read Revelation 19 over and over and over until you understand that we, as the bride of Christ, will be there 
at the marriage supper in heaven after the tribulation until we come back down with Jesus Christ riding the white horses, Revelation 19, following him as he is our captain of the host, as the army of the Lord, Zechariah 14, and Revelation 19, coming down with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the day of the battle of Armageddon and defeat Russia, China, Iran, Persia, defeat the communists and Islamic nations of this earth and bring in and usher in the kingdom of God. Amen. Verse 25, verse 24, verse 24, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Praise God. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. You ever get to where you, you, you feel his Spirit so much that you feel that groaning, but you don't know what words? I get like that. Do you? Do you ever feel his spirit so much that you feel that groaning but you don't know what words to speak? Verse 27, And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the spirit what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know. We know. Do you know this? Verse 28. And we know it's not a belief. It's not a maybe. We know that God causes all things, all things, war, earthquakes, volcanoes, anything that happens on this earth, anything that happens in your life, anything that's ever happened to you, good and bad, all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. There are no accidents. There are no coincidences. All things are going to work out for the good. God is in control. God saw the end from the beginning. He knew every obstacle that would come against you. He knew every trial, every tribulation that you would come go through in this life. But it all is going to work out for the good, for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. He's got a purpose. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. He's got a purpose. It's not by accident. He's got a purpose that he's working out. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. But you know you have a destiny. That destiny is going to happen. He's got a purpose. It's going to happen. To become conformed to the image of his son. Do you see how this keeps coming up? and all the different verses I've shared today. And I didn't even know it would be like that, that God knew it ahead of time. He predestined this sermon today. He predestined this teaching today. Things I didn't know I was going to say, he predestined it ahead of time. Knew what I was going to say. How this keeps coming up. About us becoming conformed to the image of his son. How we're going to grow into the full stature of the measure of God. How we look in a mirror and going to see him, 
how we're being transformed from image to image, from glory to glory. We're being performed. Transformed. With the renewedness of our mind. Become a new creature. Even as the, the moon, the stars, and the planets out there in decay right now, they're being going to be transformed. And we ourselves are going to be transformed. And we're going to be delivered from this corruption of this flesh that we are under corruption, under bondage with now. We're going to be delivered. We're going to shed this skin. Praise God. And be conformed to the image of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be like, but we shall be like Him. Praise God. Verse 29. For those whom He foreknew. <laughs> Praise God. He foreknew us. He foreknew us. Can you relate to this right here? That when I was a child in school, and I was an outcast. I was different from all the other boys, and all the other boys loved sports, and I didn't have any interest in it at all. And they would choose two guys to be the captains of basketball team and the baseball team and all the other different ball teams. And then each captain of the two teams would choose, I want you on my team, I want you on my team. And they'd go one by one by one. And sure enough, I'd be last or close to last every time, every day, every week, month after month, year after year. Nobody wanted me. My parents didn't want me. I was an outcast, still a black sheep to this day of the flesh and of the world. But in Christ, God chose me. In Christ, I am chosen. In Christ, I am wanted. In Christ, I was elected. In Christ, he wanted me to be born, designed me to be born, created me to be born, and born to be a king. There are no unwanted children in the kingdom of God. He wants every one of us to be his child. And he foreknew it. Wanted. Wanted. It wasn't no accident pregnancy. He foreknew us created us, designed us, wanted us, wanted a relationship with us, and chose us even, even before he created the moon. Even before he created the moon and the stars, he said, I'm going to create that person. The first I'm going to create this, I'm going to create this, because, hey, we've got to have somewhere to set our feet on. So he created the furniture, and then he created us. Amen. Praise God. He foreknew. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed. We are predestined to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's something to really think about. What we do of our lives, what we look at, what we listen to, what we pay attention to, what we allow in our ears and our hearts. We're we're destined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers among many brethren. Verse 30. And these whom he predestined, he also called. He said, I've chosen you. And these whom he called, he also justified. That means remove your sin and give you righteousness. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. And we're sitting in heavenly places now in the spiritual realm and yet to be even more fulfilled from the resurrection. Amen. Romans 8. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. The book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. 
in the book of Corinthians, chapter 15. This is the resurrection chapter, another glorious, 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 glorious chapter. I cannot overstate the beauty of these scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and also in which also you stand. Now remember, I had read earlier about when he had first came to the Corinthians, they came in here and trembling in the flesh, but in the spirit it came with power, and with authority, with true wisdom, and with the words of Christ. And it came with the power and the demonstration of the working of the Holy Spirit when it came to the Corinthians. And it came to bring the, the deep things of God and, and true wisdom. And so this refers back to that as well. I'll read it again in verse 1. Now I make to, known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. How did he do that through the Holy Spirit? Which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast. If you hold fast. If we don't turn back. If we don't take our hand off the plow. If we don't go back and wallow in the mud. If we don't go back into the world. But rather, if we stay. If we stand. If we hold fast. If we continue to hold in there until the end. Of which God is faithful. Amen. Verse 2. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Unless you believed in vain. Unless your belief is all in vain and you go back into the world. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What I have received, I've given to you. What God has given to me, I've given to you. What I've heard in the Holy Spirit, I've shared with you. That Christ died. <laughs> Praise God! That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. As it was foretold, as it had previously already been written in the Word of God, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day. This is the resurrection chapter, my friend. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, verse 5, and that He appeared to Cyprus, then to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Lots and lots and lots of witnesses. He appeared to 500 people at one time. In one group of people, 500 people at one time. All at the same time. Witness Jesus Christ after the resurrection right here on this earth. If it had been just one or two or three, they could have lied. Said, no, I didn't see him. But 500 people at one time, what a great witness and what a great testimony. And most of whom remain until now. Most of this 500 people are still alive when Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church. And some have fallen asleep. Verse 7. And then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. All the apostles. Every one of them saw Jesus after the resurrection. Verse 8, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Untimely born 
A lot of people take that out of context and twist it and, and turn it into all kinds of lies and ridiculous teachings. But what does it mean? It means that even though he wasn't there among the twelve when Jesus before the crucifixion, even though he wasn't there at that day and time among the saints, among the church, among the disciples of Christ, even though Paul got saved after Jesus had already went to heaven and was no longer visible in the flesh to mankind, Paul got saved after all that had already happened. But he still saw God. He still saw God. He still saw Jesus Christ because he's still alive. Amen. Verse 9. So I am the least of the apostles. He wasn't in with the twelve. He didn't make the first twelve of the team. But he was still called. The first should be last and the last should be first. And as long as we are called, let's shout and praise God. Whether we're first or last. As long as we're in the kingdom. As long as we make the team. Because we've been predestined to make the team called and elected and chosen for the foundations of this world. Whether we was called during the times of Moses, Job, Adam, and Eve, regardless of the time that we're called, let's go to the harvest, my friend. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit even. I shouldn't even make the team. Paul knew past sins. He knew even his current weaknesses. He said, I'm not even fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Even all of them. Even more than Peter and James. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I've labored hard. Yet not I, but the grace of God, the Spirit in me, and the predestined calling of what God has called me to do. Amen. Verse 11, whether then it was I or they, just so that we preach and you believe. Amen. Verse 12, now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? You know, there's still people like that today saying there's no resurrection of the dead. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. The very fact that Christ was raised proves not only his resurrection, but our resurrection, because he is the first of the first truth. And even as Christ was resurrected, we should be resurrected. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Again, He's saying the resurrection of Christ is tied in with our resurrection. Verse 16. 
But if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Atheism is in vain. Atheism is worthless. You are still in your sin. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are lost. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no life, we have no resurrection, there's no hope, there's no future. That's the way of atheism. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen and asleep in Christ have perished. Those that have died, the Bible calls it fallen asleep. For they are not truly dead until they are cast into the lake of fire. They're just asleep. But those that are in Christ will not be cast into the lake of fire and have eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If we don't believe there's a resurrection coming, there is no hope, then pity upon us. Verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, talking about Adam, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead, talking about Jesus, the first Adam and the second Adam. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Everybody is going to be made resurrected, both the sinner and the saint. The Bible talks about two resurrections. Verse 23. But each in his own order. The first harvest and the second harvest. Bear with me here because this is something that you may not have ever heard in any church before. The Bible says that there is a first resurrection. And if there is a first resurrection, why does it call it first? There must be another one behind it. There are two resurrections. Each in his own order. If there is a first fruit, there is a second fruit. If there is a spring harvest, there is a fall harvest. And that is what the Holy Days teach us. Pentecost is tomorrow. It represents the first fruit. It, tomorrow represents the first resurrection. Tomorrow, the day of Pentecost, teaches us about the first resurrection and the first fruit. Tomorrow is the 50th day after the resurrection. Because he walked on earth 40 days, ascended into heaven 10 days later on the 50th day, the day of Pentecost, and they all gathered together in the upper room. The Holy Ghost was poured out, and they began speaking in tongues. That's tomorrow. On that same day of Pentecost, the Ten Commandments were given thousands of years earlier. On the day of Pentecost, the Ten Commandments and the Old Covenant and the letter of the law was given. Thousands of years later, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the spirit of the law was given rather than the letter of the law. Amen. And it represents the resurrection, represents the spirit of Christ Jesus in us, giving us life, freedom, 
liberty, new covenant, and resurrection, and new life, and the first harvest. Continuing here in verse 24, let's read verse 23 again. Verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruit, and after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he, come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, and when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that shall be abolished is death. You know what it's talking about? That's talking about the lake of fire. He's going to burn the wicked. And even hell and death itself will be cast into the lake of fire. And at that point, when all the old earth is consumed and transformed into the new earth, the new heaven, and the moon and the planets and the stars and the planet earth will be delivered of its bondage and of its corruption and there will be a new heaven and new earth and death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire and those things shall exist no longer then death will be abolished. Even death will be cast into the lake of fire. You know what I mean? That every person would have been resurrected by them each in his own order, the first and the last, and those that should be first should be last, and those that should be last should be first. First harvest, the second harvest, the spring harvest, the fall harvest, the Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Pentecost represents the first harvest, Feast of Tabernacles represents the second harvest, the two resurrections. Verse 27. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says, all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he has expected to put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subject to him, when the Son himself also shall be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be made all in all. If you look at the Greek word for all in all there, it means be made whole, that God should be made whole one of these days. You know what that's talking about? How many gods can you serve? One, two, or three, or four, or five. We serve one God, one Lord, one Spirit, one being, one person. I believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. One, not two, not three. He's one person, one spirit, one being, one Lord. We're all baptized in one spirit, one Lord, one King, one God. He's one. But right now, there is the manifestation of Jesus Christ. And there is the manifestation of the Father. And Jesus Christ is on the right hand of the Father. But when we get into the new heavens and the new earth, we're not going to see the Father and the Son. We're only going to see one because he should be made whole. This is hard for the physical mind to understand. But Jesus Christ should be subjected to the Father. Did not Jesus Christ always subject himself to the Father, give the glory to the Father, give the credit to the Father, and look unto the Father 
and all things pointing to the Father. And Jesus prayed to the Father. He's sitting on the right-hand side of the Father. But they're not two people. They're not two spirits. They're not two beings. They are one. we got to understand this, brethren. I know this is hard to understand because of all the false teachings throughout the years and decades. But God is not a six-foot-tall man. He's not a seven-foot-tall man. He is spirit. And he is throughout all the universe. He's on Mars. He's on Jupiter. He's in all the stars. He's in the grave. He's everywhere. God is everywhere. He fills the universe. And when he put part of himself in Mary, he did not put all of himself in Mary. He put only a part of himself in Mary. He can't put all of himself in Mary. She would explode. He only put part of himself. Did he put a second person in Mary? No. He didn't put somebody else in Mary. He put part of himself in Mary. A manifestation, a seed of his own self inside Mary. And that part of himself became known as Jesus Christ. And now we see Jesus Christ and we see the Father. But in the new heaven and new earth, we will not see two. We will only see one. Each shall be subjected unto the Father and be made one again and be made whole. And we will only see one. Jesus will always exist, always. He always has existed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's where it's going to be in the new heaven and new earth. But we won't see two, even as Elijah did not see two. Even as Ezekiel did not see two. But John saw two. Because John wrote after the resurrection when there was two manifestations. But there will no longer be two manifestations. He's going to be made whole. Verse 29. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Why are we also in danger ever I? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild deeds at Ephesus, what does it profit me if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. We need to take verse 33 very seriously. Who to hang out with? Who to call our brother? Bad company corrupts good manners or good morals. Verse 34, become sober-minded. If you look in Greek there, that means to be in constraint, in control of what we do, that we don't, we don't just party wild, we don't just do anything we want to, we don't do drugs, that we're in control of ourselves. That's what that means right there. As you ought to be and stop sinning. That we're not living in chaos, but we're living in control. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? They still say that today. And with what kind of body do they come? You fool. The language of the Bible. The language of the Bible. (laughs) A lot of Christians need to read the Bible and learn the language of the Bible. Says you fool. 
that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare, a, a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body which as he wished, to which each of the seeds a body of its own. In other words, when we come up out of that ground at the resurrection, it don't matter whether we were cremated, cremated, whether we were buried six foot, eight foot, one foot, a hundred feet. It don't matter if somebody's buried under the Grand Canyon. It don't matter if they're buried under the ocean in the Titanic. It don't matter if their bones are being grounded up. It don't matter. God doesn't need a whole body or any such thing to bring us back because we're not coming back in the flesh. We're coming back in the spirit. Amen. He would give us a new body in that resurrection. Verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another fish. We read about that in Genesis. Each one made after their own kind. Birds made after the bird kind and so forth. Verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies, the moon, the earth, the planet, how this keeps coming back, praise God, his word, the perfection of his word, the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, how all this fits together. Verse 40, there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star difference from star in glory. There's bright stars and dim stars. But also, it's the resurrection of the dead. There's a bright resurrection and a dim resurrection, a greater resurrection and a lighter resurrection, each one in his own time, and different resurrections. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. That power is related to the spirit. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spirit body. And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. God breathed into Adam, he became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The old and the new, the old law, the old covenant, the new covenant, the first Adam, the second Adam. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. Verse 47, the first man is from the earth, earthly, the second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as is the heavenly, so also those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly. The image, right now, we're in the physical image, but we shall become in the image of Jesus Christ, eventually. Even Jesus Christ is the image of the Father. Even as Jesus Christ is the image of the Father, and Jesus Christ expressed the image of the Father, Jesus Christ is going to always exist, but he's going to melt into the Father. He's going to blend back into the Father. He's going to be made one with the Father, all in all with the Father, and we'll only see one God. 
because there is only one God. His name is Jesus. God with us. Amen. These things are God today. Amen. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Verse 50, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the in, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So I'll tell you a mystery, that you are not all sleep, we're not all going to die before the resurrection, but we will all be changed. We'll all be turned to spirit in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now people turn this, they twist this verse, like they do everything else. People say, Jesus will appear in the twinkle of the eye. Is that what it says? No. It doesn't say nothing about that. It says in the twinkle of the eye that we're going to be changed. It doesn't say Jesus is going to appear in the twinkle of the eye. It says we're going to be changed in the twinkle of the eye. He's not going to appear in a matter of a second, but rather, Matthew 24 says that he's going to appear just as even the light, lightning comes out of the east, so shall the Son of Man come. He's going to come from one end of the heaven to the other end of heaven. You're going to see him approach on the horse and him and the army of God approaching, getting closer and closer and closer. Not in the second of our eyes. But we're going to be changed in the twinkle of the eye at the last trumpet. Is that between the sixth and seventh seal like some people teach? No. The last trumpet. You got seven seals. The seventh seal, the last seal, has seven trumpets. You got to go through all seven seals and all seven trumpets. Then we're going to be called a change from mortal to immortal. Not between the sixth and seventh seal. Don't let people fool you. It's only at the last trumpet. The Bible says it. The last trumpet. But the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. That's the first resurrection. For this, Perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when it's perishable, we'll have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does he give us that victory? Through the Spirit to the power of the resurrection, to the crucified and resurrected spirit of Jesus Christ. That is the victory. Our victory is in the spirit, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We receive that through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brother, by speech steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Boy, I need that verse right there. Praise God. Well, I know it's been long, but let me sum this up. We have life in the Spirit of God. Higher the resurrection. And if we understand anything, it is through the Spirit, the deep things of God. If we want to understand the Old Testament, the New Testament, what laws we must keep, what laws we must not keep, whether Jade Ham is real or whether Jade Ham is a conspiracy theory, 
whether Walmart is closing just to fix plumbing or if it's a, a, to make concentration camps, regardless of what it is, to understand we need the Spirit. And through the Spirit, our mortal bodies should be quickened. Through the Spirit, we have true wisdom, true understanding, and understanding the depths of God, even understanding the resurrection, even understanding the holy days. Only through the Spirit is all of this possible. By man, this may be impossible, but with the Spirit of God, all things are possible. Through God, all things are possible. Now, tomorrow's Pentecost. We're going to be broadcasting tomorrow from live services at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, live Pentecost services. And I'm really uh, looking forward to Pentecost, looking forward to spending time with the saints of God, looking forward to spending time with those people that's going to be gathered together with one mind and one accord to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to worship the Father, and uh, keep this very special holy day. I hope that you'll be listening, and if you can't listen live, that's okay. It'll be saved in the archives where you can listen to it. Your convenience, 24-7. We're here on this broadcast live every Saturday at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. This is called This Gospel of the Kingdom, brought to you by IsawTheLightMinistries.com. This is Pastor Tim of I Saw the Light Ministries, and I really encourage you to check out the main ministry website at IsawTheLightMinistries.com. I saw lightministries.com. I'd like for you to check out the, the articles about the rapture, the 1,335 days of Daniel, uh, all these things, more information about Pentecost, the Holy Days, the Sabbath, what's done away with, what's not done away with, all these things. There's over 130 articles there on the website. I saw lightministries.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, may God bless you in amazing ways, all of this, in the name of Jesus Christ, and to the Father be the glory, in Jesus' name.
Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.